podcast is brought to you by The Technique, our on-campus newspaper, as well as Rec Radio, who has partnered with us to bring tech students quality entertainment and the freshest, dankest news. This week, we're going to be doing something a little different, and we're going to be having interviews. Hello, and welcome to Get Lively. This week, I'm joined by Hallie Lieberman. Hallie, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hallie good. Lieberman is the author of a long-form piece published in Atavis Magazine called The Trigger Effect. Hallie, can you give us a little background on who you are and what you do? Um, I'm an instructor here. Uh, this is my second semester actually teaching. I'm teaching communicating science and technology to the public now. I taught gender studies last semester. Cool. So this piece kind of covers the past year that has happened since the death of the Georgia Tech student Scout Schultz. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the thesis of this piece? Um, I guess the thesis, it's its kind of difficult to put in those terms, but I just wanted to see what had happened on campus since this, like, shooting that got international news, what had happened to the LGBTQ community, um, what changes Georgia Tech had put in place. And so I guess if you had to put in terms of a thesis, I would say, like, not enough changes have happened since then. And, uh the LGBT community was hurting. So speaking of those changes, uh, you mentioned in the piece a few times the campus culture at Georgia Tech. As an outsider coming in for the first time this past year, how do you view the campus culture at Georgia Tech? Well, like campus culture in general, it's really hard to know. Um, I was kind of thrust into it by teaching gender studies, and one of the first things I heard from my students is a bunch of our friends have commit committed suicide, and I was like, what? Um, I wasn't aware of that. Um, and people who were upset saying their friend had been arrested and, you know, all these things. So I, it seemed like there was a lot of tension among that community and sadness. And additionally, you mentioned that there haven't been enough changes. Um, why do you think that is? Is it the empathy gap that you mentioned, or is there other factors that come into play on changes that haven't necessarily been made yet? Um, I think it, it might be the empathy gap. I think also, um, and this is kind of cynical, but I think the university doesn't want to admit any guilt until... Uh, the investigation is made public, and they're worried about lawsuits from Scout Schultz's uh, parents. And so I think that they feel that changes, if they make them, are going to be uh, you know, seen as admitting guilt. And so then what sort of changes are you looking for in the coming months or years in relation to this? Okay, so... In an ideal world, which we, you know, in a utopia, I would have the cops not carry guns. That would be an amazing change. Realistically, is that going to happen? No, um, because of campus carry and because we're in Georgia. But there are many universities around the U.S. that don't have armed campus police. Um, another change that I think is more realistic is expanding the number of visits students are allowed to the counseling center over the course of their campus career. I know they suspended the limit, but I was just checking the counseling center's website last night, and it still said you have 16 visits for your campus career, which is um, crazy. I mean, you need to have that in a year-long period, so getting more staff, getting more funding, and more visibility for the LGBT community, a space for the Pride Alliance, um, a dedicated space, and a lot more, you know, 
respect for the community. So then, as we mentioned before, you just came. This is your second semester teaching here. What sort of unique experience as an outsider did you really bring to this story? And like when you were writing it, what point of view did you have? I mean, I think one of the things I brought in, I don't know if it comes through, is I didn't have any preconceptions. I came in very naive. I thought, oh, the university will talk to me. Like, oh, um, there's been this shooting, but I bet there are going to be lots of changes. The cops will be retrained, which I read in the AJC article they would be. But I think I came into it with this kind of, you know, having no background and preconceptions and then... uh, Unfortunately, a lot of, you know, not everything was positive that I found out. And so when you came into this story, who did you really, like, you mentioned earlier that you're sort of telling this story. Whose story are you telling specifically? Like, what sort of message are you trying to get through in this piece? Well, so it ended up being a story about Kat Mondin, who um, is uh, Scout's best friend um, who witnessed her best friend being shot and killed by campus police, who then was um, at the protest afterwards, got arrested, got charged with a felony, got kicked off campus. So her story kind of frames the narrative. Um, And so the story ended up being from the perspective of Scout's friends and family and the friends and family of um, Kirby and Dallas, the two other of Scout's friends who committed suicide. I wanted the perspective of Georgia Tech and the administration in there, but no one would um, respond to my emails. So that was, or phone calls, that was a problem. So it ended up by default, because I didn't really have a choice from the student perspective, which worked out pretty well. So you mentioned that Georgia Tech obviously wouldn't talk to you and they're afraid kind of of taking blame in this scenario. Were there any other hurdles or issues that you came across when writing this? Yeah, so so one of the hurdles was, um, yeah, not being able to talk to Georgia Tech and uh, being just uh, all my emails, no matter who I was trying to get in touch with, being shunted through Lance Wallace at the Institute Communications Office, who I wrote about in this story. Um, and then I ended up getting this message from them saying no employees are uh, able to talk about this matter, and which was like a little alarming. And then I asked the legal department about that. So the biggest hurdle was no one would speak. People were scared. One of I was at the Women's Center um, just wandering around trying to get people to talk to me. And I said, could you just talk to me for the story? And this woman who worked there said, I'll be fired if I say anything to you. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what it means is there was a belief that a fear that if you speak up about Scout Schultz, if you speak up about having an opinion, that you could be fired. And um, it was almost like saying Scout's name or mentioning it was completely taboo. It's like this is a student who's been shot on campus. The president of the Pride Alliance, a prominent student, like there should be more talk about it. It shouldn't be taboo. And so um, that these were hurdles. Um, another hurdle, and not to blame, you know, completely put the hurdle in Georgia Tech. Another was the DA's office and Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They kept hiding behind, oh, we're having an ongoing investigation. Well, that's all well and good, but then I find out the uh, police officers back on the force. So some sort of conclusions from the investigation came if they were able to say uh, the police officer can be employed again. So then... With all of this in mind, was there any difficulties in the pitch process, knowing that a lot of this story might not have the details you wanted because of this? 
Um, no, because I had a really cool editor who was like so happy from the um, to, to have it from the point of view of the students. She, as I was, and the fact checker were really frustrated that I couldn't get the D. She's like, do you have a mole in the DA who can help you? I'm like, I wish. Like, I don't know anybody in the DA's office. Like, do you have someone at the university who will, you know, speak on record? No. Um, and by the way, Georgia State professors who I tried to talk to didn't want to speak on the record either. So Georgia State University. Um, so, yeah. So there, they, I didn't have a hurdle in that sense. The one hurdle I had was because I pitched it to multiple outlets. Um, one outlet was like, oh, this isn't timely enough. Sorry, we can't. You know, there are people saying that. And that's always a problem with news. You have to, you know, make it seem timely. But uh, the outlet I published with wants things to be like timeless, not timely. So that, that made it better. Did you have any, uh, like, any point in time talk to students outside of this small community to see what they thought in terms of, like, the empathy gap? I know you do mention a lot of online forum talk in your piece, but what sort of came from that? Um, yeah, I mean, I talked to the the students outside of the immediate community who I talked to were probably the um, students for Campus Carry. I talked to the, I believe he's now the president, um, about that, and... They and some other people involved in support a GT police officer to support the GTPD. And they had a completely different perspective in the sense that they felt obviously this strong support for the police afterwards and felt like really bad for the officer and said his life was going to be, you know, screwed up and all this. So. Um, there was not a lot of concern for the student. It was kind of the idea was Scout brought this on themselves and that uh, it was a suicide by cop and stop, that's it, we move on. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think that the news media in general portrayed it as a suicide by cop. And then when you hear that, it's like, well, we don't need to look further. Um, so I was hoping my story would look further and show this is a real person who was brilliant, as a matter of fact, taught their dog to speak in Latin. Like, who does that? That's amazing. And um, friends and family, I mean, and Kirby Jackson was also super smart, uh, created the T-plus group on campus. So... So, yeah, I mean, I talked to some students outside of it. There were people who didn't want to talk to me, people with students who were afraid. Um, even, uh, you know, there were students for the story who, who were anonymous because they were scared. They were That was one of the things that came out, like LGBT students who were like, I'm scared because student um, social media is being followed and I've got, a, you know, scholarship. I just don't want to be public about this. So then moving forward with those differing viewpoints and kind of this summation that it was a suicide by cop, what broad changes can campus make to sort of change that view at this point in time? Um, I think, well, I think mental health is a huge thing um, that can be changed. Um, I know that the, it's not that tech has ignored the mental health issues on campus. There was a tech and suicide campaign that um, Scout and other members of the Pride Alliance were a part of. But I think, and they've, they've put some money towards it, but I think putting more money towards that and saying you, you can have more uh, meetings with a campus counselor, that's something that, you know, can be fixed fairly easily. And then the other thing is um, more support for the LGBT community. Now there's the LGBTQIA Center, which is really good. 
Um, but I think there hopefully there'll be a way that it's not just like preaching to the choir that you have the wider campus community aware that you know there's these other people out there who are just like you who aren't an other and um, I don't know how to bridge that but the the um, the one thing they have done is a trans uh, training for the police officers which I think is really good um, I hope that there is training to de-escalate situations without using lethal force. I, that would be a great change. Um, and um, the crisis intervention training, which I think they're working on, I hope every single cop gets that immediately. Um, there's, like, no excuse. They should all have it. It's only 40 hours, um, and that's crisis intervention training to de-escalate um, situations with mentally ill people. Um and I think that there should be even more than the 40-hour training. I mean, there should be, you know, hundreds of hours of training. So this never, ever happens again. I mean, that would be the goal. Never, you know, have another student get shot by the police in general or shot and killed by cops. I mean, that's that would be, you know, hopefully this never, ever happens again. So is there anything you feel that I've left out or that you would like to add to this um, yeah, just just a few things. So one of the things is that um, about the protest afterwards and how it was framed as uh, outside agitators. So the protest that happened last year after the um, after Scout was shot and it was a memorial that turned into this protest. And the university president framed it as, as outside agitators starting a protest. And then it was found out that most of the people there were, um, were students, like either at Georgia Tech or Georgia State. Um, and I think it's important to remember the only Georgia Tech student who was arrested at that protest was Scout's best friend, who watched their friend die and was like one of the only black trans women on campus. So it's important to remember that that's uh, that that happened, and that um, students were arrested in classrooms at Georgia State after this um, protest. Uh, after you know they they protested publicly, they were um, arrested and charged with misdemeanors, and one of the people arrested was uh, later killed herself. So I think it's worth. Uh, Looking at it, are arrests, you know, like should student protest? I mean, I think it had a chilling effect on student protesting. And I don't think that, you know, going after people at a protest for misdemeanors, dragging them out of their classrooms and shaming them is a good thing. So, so I think that's an important thing. Like going forward, students should still be encouraged to exercise their First Amendment rights and not have fear that they'll be arrested at worst. Um, or even uh, just, you know, have their social media followed. Because I think, and especially the LGBT community in jail, it's very difficult. People get misgendered, get put into, you know, the wrong holding center. So, yeah, that's the only other thing. What other projects are you currently working on right now? Okay, so I'm working on a book on male prostitution. That's my second book. My first was on uh, History of the Sex Toys. So this one, um, and I'm interviewing, I don't know if you've ever watched Gigolos, the TV show. Have you? I, I, know, the, I know the show, but I've not watched it. Okay, you don't have to admit. Okay, anyway, so I'm interviewing someone from that show. Uh, uh, next uh, tomorrow, actually, who claims that he was not ever a prostitute. And I can't ask him about that. So fine. So that's a one project. And the other one is about the sex offender laws and people having to register for life and including um, teenagers and some 
people as young as nine years old. So those are the two projects. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. If you have opinions about current events, let us know by tweeting us at NeekPod or emailing podcast at Neek.net. If you're interested in writing for The Technique or sending a letter to the editor, email us at opinions at Neek.net. To support The Technique, pick up a fresh copy of our newspaper every Friday and tune in to Rec Radio at 91.1 FM. To hear more news, tune in on Mondays at 6 p.m. for Battleground. Thanks for listening. See, See you next time. time.